This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. Good morning, good morning, Mill City. Good morning. Uh, I wanted to start this morning with a, with a general question. You can, you can feel free to answer out loud. Um, do you want to live and speak more boldly for Christ this morning? Okay, so there's some yeses. Okay, I do too. Um, but then we have to ask the next logical question, right? How bad, how bad do I want it? Or how bad do you want it? Would, would you pray for it every day, asking God to give you opportunities to be bold and the strength to, to apply it in the face of you know, your shyness or, or in the face of discomforts? Or, and this is a reality, this is definitely a reality for many, would we rather just be inspired by the idea of boldness, read biographies, hear stories about other Christians, even share with people that it's something we want to grow in and something we want to work on, but never really get around to being able to apply it in our lives? And if those are the two options, living it out or, or kind of watching from a distance, from afar, where, where would we fall? And this morning, we're going we're gonna, to approach this issue a little bit and see what God wants for us. This morning, we're going to study boldness, biblical boldness. This isn't just like uncalculated recklessness, uh, but boldness with purpose. It's bold in order to live and speak for Christ. And I want to point out from the onset that this, this doesn't have anything to do with personality, right? We, we can all think of timid people who in the right circumstances would be bold in, in in, in the same circumstances where maybe outspoken people would kind of just shrink back and shut down. So this doesn't have to do with personality. Instead, this is a practice of boldness. Um, and it's a practice of boldness that we see in Scripture. So at our foundational truth this morning, you'll see it on your guides, um, is that as God's people, we need boldness to participate in God's mission, the advance of the gospel to save mankind. We're going to see this in Acts today. We need boldness to participate. Just so we can uh, be on the same page here with definitions, I pulled a, a quote from John Bloom from Desiring God, and he says boldness is this. He says it's spirit-empowered conviction, courage, and urgency. And so to walk through that quickly, you know, you need conviction to be bold about something, right? And you, you need courage so that you can push your conviction past your fear, and you need urgency to start today and not at some indefinite point in the future, because for a lot of us, that could be never. Um, but all of this, empowered by God's spirit, this is boldness. And what's crucial to get off the table or on the table right now, too, is that boldness comes from the Holy Spirit. And you'll see that in your guide. This is something we can't do on our own. Boldness comes from the Holy Spirit. And Chris talked about this last week, that we should pray for boldness, but the last verse of our passage corroborates it too, and 31 basically says that in order to be bold for God and to continue in boldness for God, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and being filled there, being filled means that uh, God himself is providing what we need to actually participate. And so it's God through and through helping us to actually participate in his mission. So for instance, I wasn't born with a bent towards boldness. I, I actually, I hid away. And I, and I would continue hiding away, just like Peter denying Christ three times. 
in the face of persecution, but in the book of Acts, something is different. Something's definitely different. And it's because the Spirit is providing. And by the Spirit's provision, Peter and all believers practice boldness for Christ. And, and we have the joy this morning of, of following in their footsteps. And so with these good things in mind, uh, we're going to pick up in Acts 4. You can turn there in your Bibles or the scripture will be on the, screen, on the screens. Um, but here basically where we're picking up in the narrative, the Apostle Paul, he's just finished publicly healing a lame man, a crippled man. And he's healed him. And not only that, he and the Apostle John, they're declaring before this crowd of people that it was faith in Jesus that healed this man. And more importantly, that by faith in Jesus, sins are wiped clean and hearts are healed. And by consequence, people, people get to spend eternity with God. And, and the people who hear this, they're just amazed that they have hope. And so we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So this morning, we're going to see that in order to advance the gospel in boldness, in other words, to participate in God's mission, we need to present the gospel. We need to present the gospel. In order to advance the gospel, we need to present it. And at face value, that might seem really, really obvious. But I know I'm not alone, that there are people that I've been friends with or that I've lived with or that I've worked with for one, two, three, or, or even more years than that. And I have never presented the true and free message of salvation with them. And some of you know my neighbors uh, in my apartment complex. Um, because you've hung out maybe in my hood before with me. And I have, I have one neighbor who loves to shovel my car out in the winter without my asking. It just makes him happy. I don't know why, but it makes me really happy too. Um, and he loves to talk too. I mean, he really he loves to talk. And you know, he just, he, just, he just wants to be friendly. You know, even if we're just talking about the weather, which comes up every week, there's no shortage of conversations on the weather with him. I know he just wants to be relatable. And meanwhile, I've spent countless hours meeting with people and presenting the gospel to them, but you know I've yet to share the same true word with my neighbor in all our conversations. And I can come up with many convincing reasons why this is. But perhaps one reason why faith in Jesus hasn't come up in conversation is because simply I don't talk about it with him. And for whatever reason, it just goes undiscussed. And I lack, I lack conviction here. I'm admitting that. I lack courage and urgency. And I'm confessing to you this morning that I, I need boldness. I need this boldness that comes from God. And I know we all do. To be filled with the Holy Spirit and to speak with boldness. And so I would say, number one, we need to present the gospel in love for our neighbor. You'll see that in your guides. We need to present the gospel in love for our neighbor. If you believe in Jesus this morning, then you know salvation is only through him. And you know God loves all people. And you know all people can know God through Jesus. 
And so with, with ruminating on that, on that reality, and steeping in it, with the love that God has for your neighbor flowing through you, make moves in your life to proclaim to, to those in your life exactly what Jesus did on the cross. Verse 1 says, uh, they were speaking to the people. They were speaking to the people, boldly speaking hope in Jesus. And I think the very pragmatic example here from Peter and John is, guys, start speaking, right? Start speaking out of love. Start speaking. And uh, we'll actually, we'll hop back to the text. So Peter and John, so they're speaking to the people, right? And then they're interrupted. Who are they interrupted by? They're interrupted by the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were sort of this band of, um, you know, religious leaders, but it was interesting because they didn't believe in resurrection, and they didn't believe in miracles or angels or any of that. They kind of just intellectualized everything into a very dry, rule-based, rote religion, and it was, it was, very, it was very legalistic. And so the Sadducees kind of just roll up here with their posse, and verse 1 says, they came upon Peter and John. They came upon them, and just so we can catch the cultural nuance here, that's not like a, a subtle like shoulder tap or whisper. Like They got right in there, and they grabbed them, and it was, it was like personal immediately for the Sadducees. It says that they were greatly annoyed. They were greatly annoyed. Why? Well, because for one, Peter and John, right, these two scrag- scraggly, like, uneducated fishermen, they were teaching the people. It says, quote, they were teaching the people. That would be like having tertiary actors from Discovery Channel's The Deadliest Catch kind of just storm into the back of Mill City over here, dripping in salt water and seaweed. Maybe they have like a crab leg hanging from their ear. And they set up their own pulpit in the back, and then they start authoritatively preaching on eschatology to you guys in a compelling way while I'm up here supposing to be the one doing the teaching. They're just like dumbfounded. And then, yeah, the second thing, they weren't teaching the people to follow rules or dead tradition, but, quote, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And so that's crossing the line by usurping Sadducee leadership and also teaching the resurrection as first priority, as truth. Like, guys, this is something you have to get. This, this makes all the difference. And that's a huge threat to Sadducees. Right? It's a threat to people who would take Christianity, for instance, and turn it into a series of works or steps that you need to follow to make it into the club. Now, how can we point people away from this kind of thinking? I think, I think we need to start by self-evaluating where we, where we ultimately are trying to lead or where we ultimately lead conversations with people. What are, what are we pointing them to? So, for instance, when you... When you spend time with people, maybe in the hope that they would eventually know Jesus, do, do you invest in them a mentality of, you know, here are the preferred morals and rules and behavior that I live by, and it's, uh, you know, it's very satisfying, and, it, and it's very efficient, and I found it to be very optimal? Or are we ultimately proclaiming, here's the gospel, the resurrection, the new life, the thing that actually makes us righteous before, before God? and transforms us to live righteously before man. In sharing Christianity, sharing Christianity, sorry, my mouth is so dry, uh, there needs to be top priority. There has to be premium, thanks Kyle, on, on, um, 
All right, we're just going to pause here for a second. Okay, in sharing Christianity, there needs to be top priority on Jesus raised from the dead and him raising us to new, to new life with him, right? We can't, like, that, that's where the power is. That's, that's where the power to, to redeem and, and to renew lives is. And so we can't be preaching rules for your best life now. That's, that's Sadducee talk. We, we need resurrection, right? Not rules to tidy up your life. And so moving on in verse 5, it says, On the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. So just so you know, Annas and Caiaphas, these dudes were some of the moving forces behind Jesus' execution. And now they've shown up for Jesus' disciples. Verse 7, And when they had sat them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by, by what name did you do this? And just remember for a second that the response that's anywhere along the lines of Jesus, Messiah, Son of God, ended in crucifixion for Jesus. They know where this road leads. Verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, like we talked about, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to the, all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Second sub-point here in your guides is that we need to present the gospel because the resurrection is true. The resurrection is true. Remember that only weeks before this same faction of religious leaders killed Jesus. They, they physically ruined him, okay? They destroyed him. They saw his heartbeat cease. And then they buried him like he was radioactive. No one was getting to that body. And then what do Peter and John say in verse 10? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of who? Jesus Christ. And just in case there's any ambiguity about which Jesus Christ this is, of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him right now, this man is, this man is standing before you well. In other words, is Jesus dead? No. He's alive. And he's healing people. And now he's empowering his followers to preach too, with all boldness, the fact that he's alive and he's healing people and he's saving people from their sins. And don't we know this to be our reality this morning? Can't we preach the same message? Let it be known to all that by the name of Jesus Christ, whom we all would have crucified, the cornerstone we all rejected, whom God raised from the dead, by him men and women and children, and we stand before, well, before other men and before God himself. That's a powerful reality. God, God did not lie to us, and he's not lying to us in his word. He breathes life into us by his son. The resurrection is true. And lastly, we need to present the gospel in its exclusivity. 
we need to present the gospel in its exclusivity. And this is probably, this is probably the hardest for us in our culture. But can we look at verse 12? Peter, Peter says in verse 12, There's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter says there's only one way to God. And I know we want to be respectful and liked. We don't want to offend people. And, and look, we should exterminate tendencies to present the gospel with an attitude of pretense or seething judgment or belittlement. But look at the reality of verse 12. There's no other name by which we must be saved. Guys, if this is true, why would we ever dance around this? The people we love and the people you wished knew Jesus don't stand a chance with Allah or Buddha or Shiva. They don't stand a chance to save themselves through their family or their psychologist or their meditation stones. None, none of us stand a chance in these things before the one true God because the names of other gods or whatever idols cannot save us when we die. They deceive and destroy our souls and we can't stand before God a holy God with dead souls. God says the name of Jesus alone saves, and he's done all the work, right? No one of us needs to add anything to the equation to save a soul. People don't clean up their lives to know God. It's, it's, it's through Jesus that he freely cleans us and redeems us, makes us whole. And what I'm getting at is that when we tell people that eternal life is through Jesus alone, it's not like we're leading people to something that will let them down. Right? So why do we beat around the bush? And honestly, we're scared. We're scared for our reputation, maybe for our relationships, our comfort. Maybe we're scared to lose time that we could be using for personal self-investment. But as believers, and for the sake of you know, their souls, we can't say better, better just to not go there with them or better for me to just, you know, kind of like just step back here and relax in the distance. No, in his name, we all must be saved. And you know what's amazing? He will save all who call on his name for salvation. We know that to be true. Man, I believe that, but it can be really hard. So what do we do? We need to ask God for help. We need to ask God for help, to pray to him, to know and want people's best, and then lean into him, to lean into him and trust that he understands the eternal weight of a pure, exclusive gospel message better than you or I do. And boy, we, we need serious boldness to do that. But he will, he'll provide it. And as a quick note, to imply otherwise, that there was another way to God, as, as Tony Morita points out, is disrespectful to Jesus. Because it would mean he didn't really have to die on the cross. And that's, that would be very tragic on so many levels. And so in order to advance the gospel with boldness, we need to start presenting the gospel. And I think we could probably take a moment and put our heads together here and just think, okay, so what does it actually look like for you and me? And I think what it doesn't mean is leaving here and finding people, locking sight with them, then running and, you know, football tackling them to the ground or shouting them down with gospel tracts in hand and, a, you know, P.S. Jesus loves you at the end of it. That's not, 
winsome or effective, and that lacks a lot of warmth in our culture. I think for us, it's going to start with making time for people. If you're not already make, making time for people, make time for people. Or maybe it's seizing time that we're already spending with people for intentional conversations. Last week, I asked a coworker if he wanted to grab uh, lunch during work, and so we went and we got Mexican food. Um, and it was a great time. And when he asked me about my week, I was open with him. And I wasn't always like this. I know what it's like to not, to not be like this, but I've had the example of people before me to teach me how to, how to seize moments in simple ways when someone asks you, so what did you do last week? And I told him, actually, I was on, I was on church on Sunday. The sermon was on prayer. This was something cool that, that I actually I learned about God that week. Or Tuesday, I was at CSF studying the Bible with college students. Or Wednesday, I was at an in-home gathering with some people of my church. And um, yeah, pretty soon, we're actually going to get together and put together these small boxes of presents that we can give to poor children around the world um, for Christmas with a little gospel message in it. And you see what's happening there? It's taking, it's taking a friendship and bouncing off what you know, the other person is saying and talking about how we spend time to grow in our faith and using that as a springboard towards the gospel, who Jesus is, what he's done in my life, and what he wants to do in yours, what he wants to do in their lives. And when the opportunity comes to share about Christ, if you have five minutes or an hour or two, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Right? Honor it with clear, concise, and honest words. And you don't have to add fluff to it. In fact, don't do that. Don't add fluff to it. Tell it for what it is. It can stand on its own, and it has an intended effect for the hearers. We wouldn't want them to miss. Okay, we got to move on. So, um, so present the gospel. So now we're going to pick up in verse uh, 13 and kind of see the reaction here from the Sadducees and leaders. So verse 13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So next on your guides, in order to advance the gospel with boldness, We'll need to face persecution. We'll need to face persecution. Chris said it last week. I'll repeat it again this week uh, with the Apostle Paul's words in 2 Timothy 3.12. He says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. So persecution is inevitable for us. And if, if we aren't being persecuted on some level, that's, it could likely be an indicator that we're sitting back seat and avoiding, and avoiding mission altogether. 
a lack of desire for godly living, right? All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So for many Christians around the world, that manifests lethally, right, with their death or physical harm for us in our country right now. We're very fortunate that um, it doesn't go to those extents pretty often, but, but we mostly know it to be manifested emotionally, um, socially, psychologically, maybe even some of you, your job mobility has been affected by it. But the point is it's, it's baked into the godly life in some discomforting shape or form. So we need to understand its, person, its purpose because it's there. So firstly, I'd say we need to endure persecution to display Jesus. We need to endure it to display Jesus. Right? What does verse 13 say? It says, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And Peter and John, on their, on their best day, they could not have delivered the gospel like they did on their own. I mean, they, and keep in mind, these are weeks, they were weeks old believers, right? Jesus had only recently come back. And the Sadducees saw that there was no way that Peter and John were living and speaking the way they were on their own. These men had been with Jesus, and don't you know that? Aren't there, aren't there Christians that you've looked at before? Their life, their attitude, their self-sacrifice? And wondered, how is that guy so wise? Or how is that girl so bold in her faith? These men had a oneness with Jesus because the Holy Spirit was inside them, displaying the, the very same breed of boldness that their Savior had to act and speak for God. For, uh, for God and for gospel advance. So it wasn't their, it wasn't their seminary training. It wasn't a perfect uh, you know, life track record. It was their dependence. It was dependence on a, on a risen Savior that fueled their capacity to be witnesses for Jesus and Jesus' very own conviction. His very own courage and urgency are on full display through Peter and John here. So what does that mean for us? Well, I think just like Peter and John regardless of our education or class or ethnicity, hang-ups, hurts, past mistakes, Jesus will use us. He'll use boldness in his followers to display himself to the watching world, even to our most hateful accusers. They'll look at us, they won't be able to, but to say, these people have been with the God of the universe. These people have been with Jesus. Boldness is an astonishing witness. And look at the result of it in verse 21. It says, all were praising God for what had happened. And we saw back in verse 4 that many of those uh, who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. In other words, thousands of people came to believe in response to one act of boldness, one, one speech about Jesus. There, there could likely be people in your life who are ready to hear about Jesus Christ. They're literally dying, they're literally dying to hear about him. And Peter shared once with some of these, just one time, and they believed. What, what if there are people in your life today who are so ready that if they heard the gospel from you once, God would save them? He'd save them for their good, for his glory. Are we asking for the boldness to ensure we don't starve them the opportunity to know him? That can be a prayer that God, on some level, don't, don't let me starve other people the opportunity to hear this gospel message that you've given to me and that you've articulated clearly in your scripture. 
and that you've given me your spirit to understand and then proclaim boldly. And the last subpoint on your guide is that we'll need to endure persecution to embolden our brothers and sisters. We'll need to endure it to embolden our brothers and sisters. Look with me at verse uh, 23. Verse 23 says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. In other words, it mattered a lot that Peter and John had friends. And it mattered a lot that they had friends that they knew they needed to tell uh, about what God had done among them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I would say likewise, we, we were not released. We were not released from our own arrestment to sin and, and to darkness to then live in, in isolation. Right? Where, where even the happier experiences of our faith are just boxed away. God's design for the church is, is it's multivariate. Like each of us is a variable with a weight of encouragement and challenge and contribution to bring. In other words, you matter. Like you matter a lot. And your honest, thorough, verbal feedback about what's going on in your life as a Christian matters to the people sitting next to you, even in this room today. And even over the past two and a half weeks, I've had separate conversations with a couple believers who've said that while they feel like they're often with friends, they also feel like they're on mission with nobody. And I would ask, who are you reporting back to? Who are you on mission with? Peter and John went to their friends and reported what had happened. And so maybe today, we got to make some friends in this body and to find friend on some level by whom you're on mission with. And tell them who you're meeting with, who you're sharing with, and fill them in, fill them in on the things that are making it difficult. Peter and John crucially reported the work that God was doing among, among the previous unbelievers, and the eruption of praise and worship here is palpable afterwards. Verse 24 says, And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. Right? And Chris covered this last week. They led out this beautiful prayer in unison, this corporate prayer, praising God for his sovereignty, for his plan, expressing trust in him, but acknowledging that they still need more of it. And they did it together. And then God literally jumps in afterwards and shakes the place. And I would say, you can only wish you had been there to see it. But you could be experiencing this depth of fellowship with your friends right now. So bring them into your life. There's, there's vital fellowship here with the people you care about in God's church. And, and it doesn't even end there. It, it says in verse 31, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. <clears throat> you catch what's happening here? So as Chris James has said before, boldness breeds boldness. Boldness breathes boldness. Because of Peter and John's boldness, their friends craved boldness as well and prayed for it and received it and then spoke it out into being. And, then, and that multiplied internationally. Like we see that in the book of Acts alone. It makes its way out to the, to the ends of, of their idea of the known earth. International. And the alternative here, though, is not good. As Chris also says, fear breeds fear. Fear breeds fear. And that, 
That means that if, if, we, are, if, we, if we happen to be a person who's very passive, if you're a very passive person, you, you're still actively affecting the exponentiation of fear in your body, in your church body. So what will it be for you and me? God says you reap what you sow. I don't think that's just an individualistic principle. I think it's a kingdom physic, that it, it, it expands to the whole body. So let's sow boldness that others would reap it and sow it too. God has saved us to be on mission with him, and he gives us boldness to love like him and to speak like him and to live like him no matter the cost. Verse 18 said that Peter and John were called and charged not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And then verse 21 said that they were further threatened, right? Powerful people sought to punish them. And this was the first persecution we actually see of the church. This was the beginning of a, of a cruel, tear-wrenching, multi-millennia period of persecution for followers of Jesus. And many of us know of the unspeakable tortures and executions that our brothers and sisters have endured for Christ. But far be it from us to forget they did not, inver- they did not endure in vain. Because Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And he doesn't waste an ounce of persecution or suffering, not the slightest bit for the gospel. All of it, every last drop is leveraged to persevere his people, to build up his church together, to spread hope in him to the ends of the earth, and to make his name great. Pray for boldness. Participate in the mission. Start today. God will faithfully meet you there. And for the person in the room who doesn't know Jesus as Savior, doesn't know him as Lord, he offers you something so superior to your comforts and your doubts and your attempts to tidy up your life with rules or with another God or another system. Trust me, I know from personal experience and from God's word that our own efforts are ultimately futile. They cannot save us from what's ultimately awaiting us, judgment. And God freely offers rescue from this. How? By faith in Jesus. By faith in Jesus alone. Believing that our sinful hearts, the root of our imperfection, separates us from God. But God looked at us, even at our worst, and he still loved us. And he sent Jesus to sacrifice his perfect life as a substitute for what we deserved. By faith in Jesus to save, God, God looks at us now. He doesn't see our track record, but he, see Jesus, he sees Jesus' perfect track record, his, his perfect righteousness resting before us. And, and through that, we can spend eternity with God. And not only that, we can, we can know him while we're here. He saves us how we are, but he refuses to leave us that way. He makes us more like himself, and he invites us into this big, loving family that we can feed off of and reciprocate off of, growing in faith and boldness and spreading the gospel. If you, want, if you want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus, to know him, um, you can talk to any of us up here, any of the elders, anyone on stage, um, or if there's a trusted friend that you have here, you can, talk, you can talk to them too. We'd love to have that conversation with you. Okay, let's pray. Father, God, we praise you 
for your word. God, we praise you for how perfect it is. God, it is clear. It is authoritative. It's necessary. It's so sufficient. God, I thank you for the examples of believers you've left for us in the book of Acts and throughout your scripture, that we can learn from their mistakes, that we can learn from their successes, and God, ultimately, that we can learn that we need to depend more on you, that we need you, God, in every facet of our life and in every moment. God, I pray that you would make that clear to us. You would convict us of our need for you. And God, that you would implant in us a courage and a mindfulness, God, and urgency of the lives going, going on around us, that we'd be able to step out in faith, in boldness that you've given us, and that we'd be able to serve you on mission with you um, to save mankind, God, for your glory. And praise in your name. Amen.